Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you want to get your Bibles open up to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be, but if you, when you have to go back to Philippians chapter 1, read basically the last, uh, last verse in chapter 1, because the first word in chapter 2 is therefore, and when, when the first word is therefore, what's the question we ask? What's it there for? So we've got to go back to chapter, the end of chapter 1 to find out what the therefore is there for. A lot of people think that when we come to uh, the saving knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ, that this is completely and totally um, it, it's eternal life, right? I mean, you get, you get a pass from the one thing that mankind has feared above all other things. You get a pass from it. Your recipient or a beneficiary of that grace that Jesus Christ gave us. Amen? But there's the other side of the coin. You also get to suffer in a lot of different ways. It doesn't matter whether it's suffering financially, suffering with your health, suffering emotionally, because we are Christians, we will suffer in a unique way compared to all other people on the planet. Because where most people will do everything they can to avoid suffering, we've been charged by God to run headlong into it. I can prove this to you in many places of the scripture, but I can tell you that that is what this therefore is therefore to make that very clear before we jump into Philippians chapter 2 exactly what he's saying in Philippians chapter 1 verse tw- let's read 29 and 30 together he says for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me the same conflict you saw in me. There's a lot of speculation is exactly what he was referring to, but one of those conflicts that I can point out specifically is recorded for us in one of the letters to the Corinthians where he spoke about um, his thorn in the flesh. He was begging God to heal him. Remember? And the only thing that God said to him was, my grace is sufficient for you. So he's not talking about just the physical suffering that comes to us as believers, but Paul also referred in the book of Romans about the conflict that was going on was warring in his members. That conflict was the human being inside of us that is a self-preservationist. It's the one that says, don't run into suffering, suffering's bad. Why are firemen loved so much? 
But why do people generally, why does every little boy want to grow up and be a fireman? Because they're cool. You know what makes them cool? Their tools. Their tools. Their hats. What makes them heroes? What makes them heroes? They don't run away from suffering. They run into the potential of suffering to relieve suffering. That's why they're heroes. They put themselves in the place of taking damage in order to prevent someone else from taking damage. As Christians, this is exactly who we've been called to be in every step in life. If we can ease somebody's pain, if we can help somebody through a difficulty, but you know you can't even do that without suffering. Because the, the best and worst thing about Christianity is if you open your heart to it, you will become compassionate towards people. And when that happens, you've exposed yourself to the greatest form of suffering that you could ever possibly experience. The kind that tears you up on the inside. For someone who's been, who's been at it for quite a few, three decades, I can tell you that that is the greatest pressure than any pressure that I've ever experienced. Expose yourself. Get stabbed in the heart. You suffer. But you've heard me say before, I've asked myself the question, okay, how do I stop myself from getting hurt? I back up. Create a little space. Can I be a pastor and do that? So this verse, as well as many others, just get past the idea. Because the fact is a fact. If you're going to be a Christian who desires to be obedient, you have been granted. What are you supposed to use that word? I mean, it's like it's a prize. Didn't he say that? Like it's a prize? It's been granted for you to suffer for the sake of Christ Jesus. Do we see suffering as bad? We do. But is it? Not in his sense. In other words, if I if I am able to recall the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if that's an etched in my mind, what can anybody say that's ever going to make me feel bad about that? Because if you're a Christian, we grow as Christians and become individuals who stay on that path, who care more about what God thinks than we care about what man thinks. And I'm telling you, you run around telling a story like this, it will make some people mad. I guarantee you. Told you before, I just like sometimes to just drop in on Facebook and find one of those conversations where everybody's talking and just drop the name of Jesus and back out and watch the fireworks start. The Apostle Paul has admitted himself here to this church in Philippi he's saying look don't feel bad because you haven't been willing to suffer that was yesterday he 
says, look at me. Not only the struggle that I once had, but the struggle that is now in me. In other words, he's saying, I may grow in Christ, but I never grow getting used to the idea of suffering. I still always have to divide these things up in my heart to figure out whether the cost is worth the benefit. You ever do that? God say, hey, go over and talk to that person. Has she ever done that to you? Go over and talk to that person. Why? Right? What are we trying to protect? Us. You go pecking strangers on the shoulder and start telling them about Jesus, who knows what's coming? But if Jesus tells you to do it, do you do it? You do it. And sometimes you'll walk up gritting your teeth, squinting your eyes, knowing that you're about to catch one right in the nose, metaphorically speaking, and you say it anyway. You can almost hear the devil laughing while God's going, say it, say it, say it, say it. It doesn't matter what the consequences are. I know what the consequences are. I know what this is going to lead to. You willing to take a punch from me? And Satan's over here on the other side going, he's cracking up, laughing at me. Oh, watch this. You're going to get, you're going to get bruised and bloodied and just laugh and laugh and laugh at you. That's a metaphorical picture of what goes on inside the heart of a person. The angel on one shoulder, Satan on the other probably one of the best metaphors you can come up with because every one of us have been in those conversations with god where we had to we had to balance out whether the suffering that what god's asked us to do was going to be worth it for the benefit of the outcome well i got news for you god would never ask us to do anything that didn't have a beneficial outcome downstairs this morning we talked about being so focused on the temporal things in the world and the the eternal things in the world is what should be motivating us it should be what we focus on because if you focus on the temporal things of the world the temporal things of the world are hurtful there's depression there because it's all fallen nature the whole thing losing loved ones sicknesses financial difficulties the world system the whole thing is from hell Literally. Why why do you think it says we're aliens in a foreign land? That we're peculiar people. We're weird compared to everybody else. Tonight, we're going to see... How many people do you think will be watching the Super Bowl? Don't... not trying to convict anybody. You won't watch the Super Bowl. Watch the Super Bowl. What What you do day by day... Uh, that's between you and the Lord. So I'm not giving anybody a hard time. I'm just asking a question. How many people do you think will be watching the Super Bowl tonight? How many people do you think got up this morning and decided all across this country, got up this morning and decided they need to prep for their Super Bowl Sunday and stayed on church? Probably a lot, right? It'd be rough to be crammed into that time, that space, to get your Super Bowl Sunday in. That two hours, it's going to cost you big. So you want to suffer? Sadly, the answer to that question to a, a large number of people in this country is nope. How far are you willing to go 
to see Jesus in the lives of other people. If someone had your arm in a vice, and for every pound of pressure they applied to it, a person was saved, how long would you sit there before you told them to stop? Would you let them break your arm? If it saves somebody, yep. How's that any different than taking one on the chin, metaphorically? Because it's exactly what we're doing. We don't always know the result, but I say again, God does. He knows the result and the difficult things that we have to live with in life. If me going through a hardship will benefit you, is it worth it? You better believe it. This is why it's a privilege. Take a look at chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Maintaining the same love. United in spirit, intent on one purpose. The same mind. How in the world do we all get the same mind? By trusting in the same source. But it's not enough just to trust in the same source. That same source that we trust in has got to be given absolute authority and superiority over everything else that you and I know. Has to. Why? Because it doesn't matter who I'm looking at. It doesn't matter who you're looking at. It doesn't matter if we're looking at the same person. When Jesus tells us to love people, it applies exactly the same, regardless of the per person you're looking at. When he tells us, like he's going to in a minute, to treat others better than we do ourselves, there's a reason behind that. Does that mean you suffer? Yes. That means that sometimes that you're going to have to be the one that takes the back seat in order to give somebody else the front seat. And there's a, there's a level of suffering to that, amen? What's gotten in our way in the church in this country is selfishness. We've become focused on the temporal things around us, and those things being focused on, those are the things we care about, the things we invest in, the things we try to protect. And one day we're all going to die, and if Jesus comes and gets us first, this is all going to burn. All of it is. I've always had a conflict in me about saving for retirement. Because I'm hoping there ain't one. Amen? I'm hoping either, I'm hoping that I work all the way up to the day that Jesus comes back and takes us all home. Huh? You may get to be pretty old. <laughs> <laughs> or may not. <laughs> Nobody knows the day or the hour. The same mind, though. If we all have the same mind, what are the chances of conflict? If we're all maintaining the same love. Now, it says the same love. Now, the same love means that there are different kinds of it, and there are different kinds of it. And the kind of love that he's speaking of here is agape. 
there is no other kind of religion on the planet that encourages agape. Christianity is the only, the only place that you see agape. Maintaining the same love is agape love. That means what can you do to offend me that makes me so mad at you that I'll hate you the rest of my life? Nothing. Nothing. If I were to live a pure biblical life and desire to be obedient, there is nothing anybody could do to me. And the reason that that mentality comes out in me is this. What can I do to Jesus to, for him to separate his love from me? Oh, how tall, wide, deep is the love. That's the love we're supposed to be sharing with each other. The kind that says, when a person comes to you and says, I made a mistake or I hurt you and I'm sorry. You do everything you can to heal that wound and not stick something in it and make it worse or get it infected. You heal it. Because that's who we're supposed to be. We are, we are people who are going into the darkness to bring people into the light. We are people who are going into the sin in order to show people the solution for sin. This creates a conflict in the life of Christians. But what we've done in the church in this country is we've isolated ourselves within the four walls of our own little temples. We don't talk to lost people much anymore. We don't even interact socially much with people anymore. The things that drive us mad are the things that we have allowed our minds to be taken off of Christ and onto things that are temporal. Because I said this morning, and I'll say it again, your circumstances are your circumstances. Does your God have the ability to change that? Is he big enough? Is he powerful enough? Now, we've all lived through circumstances in our lives where we know that he chose to do things that we didn't want. Amen? Remember the old arm and the vice thing I talked about a while ago? He's not cruel. He's not not healing us because he's cruel. If he allows things that are bad things to happen, I can guarantee you that he is using them in huge eternal ways huge eternal ways otherwise you got to convince me that my God is unrighteous unjust can't do it what if our suffering leads to salvation for others you face it forward have the faith go through whatever circumstances we need to go through with an it is what it is attitude and I explained that downstairs too. You know what it is, what it is, attitude is, right? It is what it is, is what people say when they've actually mastered the art of acceptance. When a person masters the art of acceptance, they can then accept personal responsibility. When I say it is what it is, these are the circumstances that I'm in. Now I know what my circumstances are, and I know what the Lord probably expects me to do in order to work through whatever solution or towards whatever solution that he's looking to work through. If that means I have to lose a limb in the process or my life, is it worth it? Because there's no way he's going to have you go through these things in your life 
without him doing something huge through it. Because that's just the God that he is. That's who he's always shown himself to be. That's all that he has ever explained himself to be. Why do you think he wants us to be of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose? And what is that purpose? It's his. It's his purpose. And to be intent on it means not to be able to be distracted from. It means to be focused on. Have you ever tried to put a screw in a, in a, a, pair, of sungla- a pair of glasses? Or better yet, it had been probably 30 years since I tried to do this. When's the last time you tried threading a needle? Without the little cheater tool. There's a cheater tool. I know. I could just see me going. I'm licking the thing 20 times. By the time I'm done, I got to cut this much off because I've soaked it. Hitting the target. It's a difficult thing to do. There's a lot of times that you're going you're gonna to shoot for that little hole in that needle and you're going to miss. And occasionally you may have to cut a little of your string off because you soaked it trying to get it in there in the first place. We're almost useless, folks, without Jesus. And we all know when our relationships with Jesus, when they're distant, what happens to our lives? And when our relationships draw close to Jesus, we find a strength that's supernatural, something people cannot explain. It reaches deep down in your heart. It encourages you to do something that you never had the strength to do before. And our lives are built on that. That's exactly what sovereignty is. It's that process of taking the valuable things that God has given us, learning what those things are, putting them in our lives, and replacing them with the garbage that we had there originally. So over one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, ten years, you see this advancement of this sovereignty, the physical application in a person's life, and after five or ten years, people are looking at him and going, what happened to you? You are not the same person you were the last time that I seen you. No, I'm not. You know why? Because Jesus changed me. Because the people in my heart that I want to hate so bad in my life, he won't let me. The truth is, if one of them called me and needed help tomorrow, I'd do it. When we are individuals as a church, who stay focused not on what we as a church do, but we stay focused on what Jesus is doing through what the church is doing, you start seeing big things happen. Relationships building. Trust. People start building trust in one another. We start trusting each other to the point of being comfortable, confess our sins to one another. Go figure. Maybe that's a biblical concept. We don't do it. Why? Because you don't trust the people that you would tell, right? Not everybody needs to know about those little dark corners in your life. How many of us got a dark corner in your life? Come on, don't be ashamed. Be admit, admit it. You've all got the things in our lives that we just have not either mastered or things that we've, we, we still fondle, flop around like a fish on the floor occasionally because we're human beings. So accept the grace. But here's the kicker. You also have to accept the responsibility. 
You don't get eternal life and it just be eternal life. That's not how this works. Now, you can go to heaven. The Bible's been clear about that. It talks about all of our works being tested by fire and those whose works burn up, that they will be saved, although just by fire, by the skin of their teeth. I've always wondered what it'll look like when we get to heaven. When Jesus makes statements like, great is your reward, what does that mean? I mean, when Jesus says, great is your reward, what does that word mean? You guys remember the Monster Burger? Monster Burger. Two two-third pound patties, eight slices of bacon, four pieces of cheese, 1,680 calories in one cheeseburger. Seen another one. It was a little bigger than that one. It was called the Heart Attack Burger. I won't tell you where it was from. But it was bigger than that one. And when I looked at the names of those two burgers, I said, wow, that's accurate. Monster Burger. Heart Attack Burger. Those are pretty good names. If we were being honest with ourselves, what are we? Are we people who are just running around the world making our own choices? And those choices actually being the ones that seem to most benefit us? Because that's what the whole world's doing, right? We've been called to be different. And the only way that we're different is for us to be renewed in our minds. Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, proving what the will of God is. You prove it through us as individuals allowing our thought processes to change. I've told you all before, Jesus won't let me gamble. I can't even buy a lottery ticket. First of all, I think that if I did, I'd win. Because that would be the closest Satan would come to completely destroying me is just make me filthy rich. I know that that would be something that would be difficult for me to get past. How do you not buy the nice cars and the, the bigger houses? And It'd be a challenge. But that's not why I don't buy them. I don't buy them because what has to happen in order for me to win? Someone else has to lose. And how many people are in such dire financial straits that they walk into gas stations all across this country and because they're so far behind on a bill, they think they can go spend their entire paycheck on lottery tickets so that they can win it back and get themselves ahead. Happens at casinos, happens, happens with lottery tickets, happens all the time. So why don't I buy lottery tickets? Because I don't want to hurt nobody. They want to hurt themselves. That's entirely up to them. They have the free will to make that choice. But if I do, I hurt them. If I walk away $1 ahead, I hurt somebody. Not your rules to live by. My convictions, my rules to live by. 
The Bible's clear. We don't do things that cause people to stumble. The attitudes that we change isn't because Jesus just wants to be authoritative and make us be conformed to the image of something that he chooses. He's literally training us up and equipping us so that we can be useful individuals in bringing forth his purpose and his plan. That's the whole point. Because I'll tell you something. How good are you going to be at relationships if you're a gossip? How, um, how valid do you think your love is if you walk around and hate people? Somebody see you as honest if all you did was walk around and lied? If a liar come to you and swore he was telling you the truth, would you believe him? So all of these things that Jesus tells us to do and not to do, they have nothing to do with him controlling you as an individual. I mean, we are honestly supposed to be sacrifices, amen? Supposed to have sacrificed yourself for, for you've given your life to Christ, right? I mean, that's more than people, what people just say. It's not cliche. When we say we have given our life to Christ, that means that Christ owns our life. He owns it. If we trust in him. And that means that he also gets to use us any way that he wants to use us. We're still bound. We're still bound to the attitude, the emotion, the purpose, and the plan that is his. Doesn't work out in your favor? He wasn't being mean. He's being purposeful. It doesn't even mean what we usually think the first thing means. We don't know what he's doing. Until we watch him do it and we see him doing it, we don't know what he's doing. Somebody said the other day, I don't think God would have given you that overnight job at Walmart. And, I, and, and I, my response right away was, oh, yes, he would. Didn't take me very long at all to figure out why I got an overnight working job at Walmart. And honestly, I, I believe this wholeheartedly. I believe that I've come to this conclusion. I have been in secular training because I've been out of it for so long. Meaning, who are 99% of the people that I've hung around with the last 22 years? church people I mean I've engaged people on the street and knocked on doors and done some things like that but as far as spending a lot of time with lost people I mean I'm not even really supposed to do that you're not supposed to fellowship with them you're not supposed to be going and eating with them and so I've been out of that circle for 22 years it didn't take me long to get back in there for me to start feeling the temptations and the pressures and the things that run into your brain that, you're, that the devil wants to come out of your mouth, that you're learning how to press back and you're learning how to control your emotions and you're learning how to be passionate towards people even if they make you want to punch them in the nose. There's, there's just all kinds of emotional training going on. And I believe that it has to do with camp. I believe that. Being successful, I don't do something dumb to, to uh, derail the entire thing. When I get down to camp, I'm not going to be dealing with just church people. Matter of fact, about 25% of the kids that come to camp from the association are lost. And if about 25% of the kids who are coming to camp are lost, then what about, the, what about a small percentage of those adults as well? They come down lost too. We're in training in everything that we do. How easy is it to be of the same mind? It's not. It's not. How easy is it to maintain the same love? 
It's not. How many of you guys, you guys go through a roller, uh, emotional roller coasters in your life? You know, the be instant in season, out of season. It's actually it's one of the best things I think Paul ever said, to be honest with you. Because his point was, his point was, it doesn't matter when it happens, it doesn't matter how it happens, we have to be ready to respond in a Christ-like manner. United in spirit. The funny thing is, if you get the first two down pat, the second two are easy. Verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So what he's saying here is, is you don't abandon all... Uh, personal hygiene you don't abandon you know your roof over your head you don't abandon he's not telling you to abandon everything in your life but what he is saying is do not merely look out for your own interests but also for the interest of others in other words my choices mostly just affect me now there are occasions quite a few where my choices also affect other people okay so I'll give you an I'll give you a, a situation in a church. This is kind of one of the pastor things inside a church. <clears throat> Youth pastors. What's the most important ministry in the church to them? Well, he called them and gave them a passion for youth, right? So pff, they're going to be all about the youth ministry. Amen. What about women's ministry? Same thing. And, and don't, don't get me wrong. That's the way it's supposed to be. Okay? I want the Lord to call people who have a passion for teenagers. And I want the Lord to call people who have a passion for women. And the Lord to call people who have a passion for men. And have a passion for broken people. I want the Lord to call people that have a passion for all of these individuals. Just how much do you think those departments think about the policies they make and how much it affects the others in other words I kicked around an idea of for like till I got done with Walmart just doing 6 and 7 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock on Sunday nights I think would be fine with most of the adults but I wouldn't want to take the youth out of their two hours because it's important to them for them to have that exposure especially before they start the week and go back to school on Monday how do teenagers get to get to church? Parents. So if I did that, then the parents would be sitting here from five to six with nobody here. Plan gets scrapped. Why? The selfishness he spoke of before, above that. That's how we look out for the interests of others. We think about how what we say or what we do is going to affect the people around us. And whether that effect is going to be an acceptable effect to Jesus or not. And if it's not going to be an acceptable effect, then we have to sit back, reassess, rethink, and re, uh, repurpose. That's the life we live. Nobody's above God. Nobody gets to claim authority over him. All of us as individuals are responsible 
So as a pastor, when you have one ministry that comes forward and says, I want to do this, you have another ministry that comes forward and says, I want to do this, it's going to create a conflict between the two, then I'm the one that's got to get in between and go, but wait a minute, this part of what you want to do is going to hurt them, or this part of what you're going to do is going to hurt them. And most of the time, people don't realize it, and when they see it, they're like, oh, yes, it is. And they go back to the drawing board, and they find out a plan that doesn't hurt people. Because there are enough challenges in ministry without us hurting people from the (laughs) get-go. Right? This is life for us. This isn't just what pastors do. This is what all of us as Christians have been called to do. Keep reading. Verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. I want you to think about how how huge this is. Do you need proof that this is what God wants? Because if you do, I can provide it to you very simply. This attitude is the same attitude that is shared in the Trinity. These verses we just read a minute ago, same mind, same spirit, intent on one purpose, maintaining one love, that is absolutely perfect, shared amongst the three persons of the Trinity. Do we realize how huge it is that Jesus removed himself from that that Trinity? He gave up his eternity to become temporal. Everything was going to hinge on whether he was successful in his mission. And he gave it up. He just looked like a person. He didn't look like the one that was explained in Revelation. He didn't sound like the one that was explained in Revelation. He looked like a man. He spoke like a man. He bled when you cut him. It hurt when you pinched him. He got tired when he walked too long. He was a man. Because this is where the value is. He gave up his high horse. He deserved to sit on it. He's worthy of it. And he gave it up. He gave up his throne to become a human so that we would be recipients or beneficiaries of his work. What better model do you have for the model that he expects us to be? The model that says we take the form of a bondservant. We stay humble as individuals. We allow humility to pour through us. We don't let titles give us a big head. We don't allow accomplishments to give us the big head. We constantly remember who it is who is in power, what it is that he's trying to do, and what our involvement is in that. Yes, sometimes he's going to ask you to do things that are not going to be very pleasant. And sometimes he could ask you to do things that will cost you your life fact but if it did cost you your life 
What was you still doing with it anyway? Because I thought we said we gave it to him. Do you get to give God yourself and then complain about what he does with it? How insane does that sound? And that's why I started it this way. Too many people look at this relationship with God and go, oh, fuzzy, feel-good bubbles everywhere. It is. Will be one day. A lot of the benefits that we see that we see now, that's recipients. But folks, I'll tell you what, I, I worked in the, in the secular world for a pretty good portion of my life. And I can tell you that there is nothing harder than Christianity. There's nothing harder than pastoring. I've said this before, and I don't mean to offend people, but I'm talking about over the 22 years, I started working in the secular field. I still work in the secular field. And can I be honest, which ones is easier to work with? The secular people are easier to work with than Christians are. Overall. Now, I'm not saying all of you are a pain in my backside. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying over 22 years. Okay. I've had people who've treated me ways inside churches that I have not had lost people ever treat me. And I've had lost people treat me better than most of the saved people in my life. Should this be? Should that be anybody's experience? That the pastor is more cared for by lost people over the last 22 years that he's been cared for overall I'm not throwing Highland under the bus I'm talking about Christians as a whole Christians have hurt me way more than secular people have of course that's the plan you know what kind of argument Satan's trying to build in here right yeah look lost people are better to you than the saved people are I don't know why he tries those childish things he knows there's no way at least not there's no way with that one I kind of burned that bridge a long time ago. So he gave up his throne. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For this reason, God highly exalted him. Jesus gave himself up. He was following the desires of the Father. He's very clear about that. But he was also very willing to do what he had to do in order to reconcile the relationship between creation and creator. And it cost him his life. Humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Are you okay if being Christian kills you? Well, you know, once you, once you, I'm, I'm going to say, once you become really obedient to sharing the gospel, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. 
I'd say on average, out of every 10 people that you talk to Jesus about, um, maybe three of them will be passive. Say hi, answer your questions just to get rid of you. One person may engage in a real, a real conversation. And the rest of them are at the very least going to be snooty. I mean, imagine you being such an aggravating person that you walk up, knock on somebody's door to introduce them to Jesus, and you get shot in the face for it. Can it happen? In this day and age, you better believe it can happen. Is it dangerous to drive on the ice and snow? Somebody needs you, and you got to drive on ice and snow. Do you go? You might die on the way. That's the attitude us Christians have got to have. God says, jump. We look. God says, jump. We go, what? Well, you want me to jump? I'm going to see if I can make it. Would he tell you to jump if he didn't know you could make it? Or if he wasn't already going to provide you the ability to make it? I'm exhausted, in case nobody knows. And I recall telling the church on several occasions this was going to be no fun. And it's not no fun. Not any fun. But it's beneficial. And in my conversations with God, there are 50 reasons that circumstances are the way that they are right now. Literally, 50 reasons. Because of what Jesus did, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess because of what Jesus did. Kind of weird that they put that there like that, ain't it? But did you know when you're obedient and you go out into the world and you share a clear, spirit-led, true gospel that you're doing the exact same thing? Do you think it matters whether people admit that they believe in Jesus or not? Do you think that if do you think the people who say Jesus isn't real that they're going to get to just stand there and mock him after they die? So if I go to someone and I say, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, trust in him. That's all you've got to do. You just have to believe that he came to earth, lived the perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, rose from the grave three days later. That's all you've got to do is believe that. Believe it. Trust it. And you get to be saved. And that person says, what are you doing talking that message at this particular time? Or what are you doing? It's none of your business. You interrupted my family dinner. You, you get chewed out, chewed out, chewed out. But guess how important their family time is when they're standing before Jesus? The one that you just interrupted their meal that they made the priority, the one you interrupted their meal to tell them about, that they just got mad at you for telling them about, they will find themselves one day kneeling to Jesus Christ and confessing that he is Lord because there will be nothing else that anybody on the planet can do. The day that Jesus Christ presents himself in person to the people who leave this planet, 
there is a rude awakening coming for a lot of people, both non-believers and believers alike. Because if there's one thing we've been terrible at as Christians, it's engaging in Jesus' purpose and his plan. Oh, we fire at it. Don't get me wrong. The Christians all across the globe, we fire at it. But if we're only 5% obedient, just how much are we firing at it? If we've gone an entire year and haven't led anybody to Jesus, what does that say to you? And only you know whether you've gone an entire year and haven't even told anybody about Jesus. And that's where a lot of people stand. A lot of people are in that place, go an entire year and not tell anybody about Jesus. And then they wonder why they're not happy. The first command we're unfaithful in. And we can't figure out why we're unhappy. Terrified me as a youth pastor. When it had dawned on me as a 19-year-old young man that I was taking teenagers, sitting them down in a classroom, and making them accountable for their eternities. It was terrifying. That point in a teenager's life where you're bringing them to the brink and you're actually bringing them to the point of saying, okay, you're about to make a choice that's going to affect the rest of your life. You're about to make a choice that's going to affect the rest of your eternity. And then sit back and watch after you've poured in and taught to sit back and watch and just see, is it going to take? Is it going to take? Was it real? Was it real? Because if the church has its way, it better desire to see people on their knees confessing Jesus as Lord willingly and not because it's just all that there is that's left to do. Let me ask you something. Are you suffering in life? Now, I will grant you that most of us can say on some level or another that we are. Amen? Question, is it for Jesus? Because if it's not for Jesus, that one's hard for me to figure out. The challenge today is this. You're going to suffer anyway. Suffer for the eternal. Realize just how much you can accomplish in the lives of the people that you walk past every day. by not being selfish, by knowing that there's a purpose and plan in your life to affect other people's lives. doesn't mean you're going to be a missionary or a preacher. doesn't mean you're going to be in any particular position. What it means is in your personal life, as you're walking amongst the people in the world, you are representing Jesus Christ in word and in action. If you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus. Just come up and tell me you want to be saved. I can't save you, but I will certainly take the time that uh, is needed to introduce you to him.
if you're here today and you're a believer, just be encouraged. We know where this is going to end up for all of us. Those of us that are believers are looking towards a better day. A day where all of these woes, just like we in Corinthians this morning in Sunday school class, 2 Corinthians, I preached it a few weeks ago. We're naked, longing to be clothed. We're waiting for all of this to be swallowed up by immortality. And as believers, we can't wait to see it happen. But the truth is, I don't want to run for the gate. I want to get as many people to link arms with me as I can on the way. And that has to be our heart. Because that's where a church will grow. Amen. Thank you, Brother Keith. And for those listening on the podcast, I want to offer that same opportunity to you to come to the Lord. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, now is the time to do so. By default, we're all sinners, separated from God, and there is nothing we can do on our own to fix that. That's why God sent His only Son, Jesus, to come live a life without sin. He was put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for that sin. And to seal the deal, He came back from the dead three days later. If you truly believe that and ask Him into your heart, you will be saved. If you're already a believer, this is a great opportunity to recenter your life in Christ. Take these next few minutes in prayer, and I'll be praying for you as well.
Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash BC. Have a blessed week, and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link, with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.